And we're back with another episode of the Files Podcast. I'm your co-host, George Boutsalis. And I'm Ricky Liorti. <laughs> this week's episode, we had Dylan Moscovich on Team Canada Olympic figure skater. He won the silver medal in teams figure skating at the 2014 Sochi Games. Uh, yeah. Hey, yeah, awesome. we had, I mean, yeah, we had a great talk. He told us about uh, some what he's doing now to stay healthy and active and mentally and physically fit during COVID. We talked about his journey on the Olympics, his friendship with Eric Radford, another Pals podcast alumni. And then we chatted about what he's got going on in the future. So uh, he's doing a million different things, juggling so many different careers. And uh, you can tell that this man is so driven and, and just a go-getter. So take a listen, uh, hit the subscribe button. And Georgie, what do we say? No, we say shout out to our uh, our sponsors. That's uh ilberry and goose like we've said guys they're just all around an amazing company uh based out of london ontario ship all across canada north america uh i've still been using their their uh coffee scrub soap uh you know these candles in here keeping the aroma nice the dark and stormy candle is the go-to a big fan of it and yeah their, their coffee's keeping me going in the morning uh what about you rick yeah, I told you. Since quarantine, I've been basically living in the sweater and hat. So, yeah, get on, uh, get on their site, support their, support them. Uh, again, their products are, are quality. I still actually have a T-shirt from when I was traveling as Vacation George, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> uh, you can check them out, ilberryandgoose.com at Ilberry and Goose, uh, and my pal. What do we say? L F G. Let's go. Beauty. Dylan, thanks for coming on. Um, I guess thanks for having off, me. Yeah. How's, uh, how's life been during COVID-19? What have you been doing to stay busy, staying active? Uh, yeah, it's it's been a ride. Um, my fiance Sharon tells everybody I'm the busiest guy she knows without a job. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know how I get myself into these situations, but this week has been crazier than pre-COVID. Really? Yeah, I just, I, I love keeping myself busy. I'm a bit of a juggler. And um, after retiring from skating, where it was more, you know, singularly focused, I had to sacrifice a lot of other interests. I've, since then, I've kind of been more open to just letting myself, I have a kind of an entrepreneurial mind. My dad's an entrepreneur. And so uh, this week, a whole bunch of things popped up that I was like, yes, 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 yes. And then all of a sudden, they were all on top of each other. And it's been, uh, <laughs> been pretty intense so, so what's so, uh, i'm gonna turn out the exact same question <laughs> what's a typical day look like what have, uh, uh, yeah what's on your plate this week this week so um i signed up for a screenwriting contest um out of new york because i'm in a screenwriting um class out of u of t school for continuing studies a classmate threw it out there to the class i signed up so i had my homework for my screenwriting class and then i've been working on this um 12 page short film um, script 
that is due tomorrow night at midnight, Saturday night at midnight. Um, and so I've been working on that. Uh, I am going to be submitting. I'm not not even close to ready yet, but I'm going to be submitting a self-tape audition to uh, a casting house. I think in L.A. is doing a contest, so I'll throw something there. I think it's due Saturday night. I got to check on all the stuff. Sunday, uh, Monologue Slam has another contest and the, it closes on Sunday. So I'm going to get something out there. And then um, a good friend of mine, uh, a fellow skater, Caitlin Weaver, has put together this um, kind of variety show fundraiser called Open Ice. It's tomorrow. And so uh, she asked me to write like a, a song and play it on guitar. I'm like very novice. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I know the basic chords I can get myself through and um, I haven't played much. So now my fingers are freaking killing me because I've been playing the last few days trying to come up with this song to the chords of free falling and it's ridiculous. So I've got that tomorrow. <laughs> well, and I'm talking to you, fine gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Schedule. Yeah. 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 It's fun, though. It's fun. It's, it's better to be um, stimulated. For sure. For sure. Especially during this time, like when you're isolated and locked in, you got to kind of keep yourself busy. But I mean, that seems like a lot of stuff juggling. I mean, you have like a a screen play dude or screen script dude tomorrow, a monologue, a so like how do you a song, yeah. Find the time. Like what else do you do? I mean, it looks like you just you worked out too. You just had a shake before we went on the on live. Like, how do you find this time? I mean I uh I don't know. You know what? I've always had a ton of energy. And I think not being, you know, bustling around the city and doing various things, um, I have less energy I'm expelling. And I, Sometimes I'll just, you know, it'll be 1 a.m. and I'm sitting there writing and I'm not tired. And Sharon's asleep on the couch as per usual because she tries <laughs> to stay up and help me and she passes out. But I kind of come alive at night. So um, as long as I, I set my day and like I have trouble prioritizing, I get overwhelmed sometimes because I want to get everything done and please everybody and like talk to everybody. And I'm kind of like a puppy in a play in a, in a park, you know, like in an off the leash park. I'm just like super excited about everything. Um, so I got to like set my day and I, this is priority. I have to get this much done in order to be able to, you know, talk to my friends at night or something like that. It's probably such a 180 for you because prior when you were skating, it was probably skate school. I'm maybe workout and skate again. Now it's juggling, you know, acting, modeling, songwriting, monologues, time with your friends. It's a complete 180 almost. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I'm used to spinning, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> um, yeah, the song, the songwriting thing. I'm just you know gonna clarify that that is like a one-time deal. <laughs> I don't see any albums coming out anytime soon, unless maybe Lonely Islands casting for signing it on that. Yeah, you know, it, it's different. Skating, sports in general are very, very uh, high maintenance and you can't really deviate too, too much. Um, skating especially is a very high maintenance sport. It's as you would expect. I mean, look at it. It's It looks like a high maintenance sport. Yeah. There's sparkles and makeup and all sorts of stuff you have to deal with. And you take, you take a little bit of time off in your setback. So we don't really get much of a break. We're training six days a week, four to seven hours a day. It's just like a full-time job. You're just going, 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 right? Now uh, I'm changing hats more often and quickly, and I like that. Um, that kind of suits my personality very well, and uh, it's taken a bit of time to find a way to, to get into a groove and, and be become um, 
efficient and making sure that I'm not just like a jack of all trades, like, you know, scratching the surface on everything, but I'm really getting into things. Uh, but I really enjoy it. Do you, do you find that it's easier now to juggle these things because um, the skating was very like you had to manage your time very well in between or was that is it different because that you knew what you had whereas now you have to manage your own time more and fit like the puzzle pieces in uh, that's a very good question um a bit of both i would say you know being an athlete you learn time management skills you have to be good at it but also it, the structure is there for you you know especially skating like there's start times there's, you know, the ice gets resurfaced and then the session starts at this time in your fitness class or your private lesson or your dance class or your sports. I call it. it's all like regimented. And I got very good at planning my schedule. I was, I was very hands-on with my career. Um, but it was, it was controlled by rigidity where this is a lot more flexible and that can be great. And also <laughs> a bit difficult at times. Well, I guess the difficult part too, like, I think I speak for like Ricky and myself, we're very similar. We like to do something. Like, we like to have a lot of stuff in the air and try to juggle it. And sometimes it gets overwhelming, but you know, you've, it, it, you can dedicate a lot of time when your schedule is set and you know what you have ahead. But then also to your point before, like then you sometimes scratch the surface so you're not really digging in. So that's kind of the part you got to just stay focused on. And are you finding that you're, you're able to focus and dig in or like, is there ever a point where you're like, I'm taking on a little too much. I got to step back. Oh, absolutely. That's like a regular conversation we have here. <laughs> um, but I think I think I'm getting better at using my time for the big things and then filling in the breaks with the small things. Whereas before, you know, I, I lock in when I let myself lock in, I'm like in, in, in. And I think maybe I was a little intimidated by that because I felt like, oh, I'm going to get locked in. I'm not going to get anything else done. So, you know, you go to the easier things, you start checking them off the list. You feel, oh, I'm getting things done. I'm I'm checking the boxes and then you realize the stuff you really wanted to work on, you're cramming and you're not giving it the time and focus it deserves. So it's been a, it's been a, a learning process. Um, but that being said, I was still getting things done. It's just getting better. <laughs> well, no, but you, you talk about being like locked in on one thing and I, I, we're obviously going to discuss skating. That's a big part. But I feel like that's something that when you're locked in and you're the type of person that can just zone in on the goals ahead or what needs to be accomplished, that can help you succeed in so many aspects of life. And especially if you're able to just focus in on that one thing. And for you, you know, when you were younger, I'm assuming that one thing was skating. So why don't we kind of just dive into that? Like, you know, when did you decide that I want to be a professional skater? I want to, you know, go to the Olympics. This is what I want to do. Right. Okay. So we'll start at the beginning. Um, started my first skating lessons when I just before I turned three um in like the learn to skate program I guess my my parents with the little, my, with the little like sticks when you go on the ice with your parents and you're holding those little uh red at, bars. That, at that point I could, skate, I could skate already but How? because so my mom my mom's from South Africa and my dad was taking her skating on an outdoor rink teach her to skate I was 13 months old and they weren't allowed to carry me on the ice unless I had skates on so they rented those little like bob skates yeah. um the and two, a, the two blade skates yeah yeah and uh, and apparently i just started walking and they put me down and i just started walking around the ice and i was begging to skate all the time after that so i'd go to outdoor rinks i'd figured it out a little bit and then uh but i would cry because it was cold <laughs> and <laughs> picked the wrong sport man <laughs> my fiance's in tennis following the sun 
smart. smart. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very smart. Personally, I never, like, Riggy's the hockey player. I was, like, uh, soccer, baseball, golf. Like, I was outdoors. I I can't deal with cold. I can't even sit in rinks now. I mean, I'm not... not Yeah, me neither, and it's still part of my job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I guess, and I guess someone at that rinks told my mom, you know, there's there's a rec center down the road. They have some public skating. I went on this uh, McCormick Arena in Parkdale um, where I grew up and a coach on the other side, another rink, saw me skating around and came over and asked my mom, she'd give me a lesson. And that's how my skating career started. And apparently when I was five, my mom asked me if I wanted to go to the Olympics. And I said, no, I want to win the Olympics. And that was, <laughs> that was that. that, was that. So you, you knew what, as soon as you got into the sport, like Olympics was kind of like an ambition from the get-go. It wasn't like, okay, I'm good at this. Let me get going. And then you, as you got better, you figured out, okay, I could get to this pinnacle. You knew from the beginning, like you could say, okay, the Olympics are the pinnacle of sport. I want to achieve this. Yeah, I think I think my ambition was greater than my ability. <laughs> at the beginning, it wasn't like I was, yo, I'm really good at this. Maybe let's see what happens. I was just obsessed with it. Um, okay. My punishments were I wasn't allowed to go skating. I was just you know that kid that's annoying <laughs> yeah but that, that's going to stay all the time like you, you talk to we, we've had some some other athletes on and everybody we've talked it's the same thing it's like that's all they knew that's all they wanted like yeah they woke up in the morning and it was we had jonathan osario on it's like it was soccer for him like eat sleep breathe soccer and even when we had eric radford on the same thing like ever since he was a kid like moved away from home just to so he could skate more right so funny segue eric is my best friend and he oh, lived yeah. with my family for years in toronto wow. i literally no. talked i talked to him 10 minutes before calling <laughs> you guys yeah he because he told us that's how we made the connection too yeah. and uh yeah and then they like whatever we knew you guys were friends but yeah we, we didn't like, he didn't mention that part he just mentioned that you guys are best friends but not that you guys had, had lived together he lived um, with my was, family yeah yeah was when we were that, skating like when you're in like your younger days was that when you were like coming up what, what that was, was like late teens early 20s so did you guys have a nice rivalry? Because I, I was obviously was reading up before, and it's like I, I saw sometimes you beat them, sometimes they beat you guys. Uh, we were arch rivals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it now, took now best friends. It took it took work to keep the friendship off the ice separate, and I think we got better at it as we got older. You know, there were there were times in our career where one of us would win, and then we just like wouldn't talk for the next day. <laughs> And then it was fine. And then, you know, we got older and we're like, this is ridiculous. You go do your thing. We don't even have to compete at the same time. You know, it's not even up to us, it's up to the judges. So uh, we're, we're lucky uh, that we got to keep that friendship stable and um, ended up, you know, experiencing almost everything in our careers together, which was pretty great. Awesome. When you guys were coming up too, like, did you meet through being like with the same coach, just competing? Like, how did, how did that materialize? And then did you guys, like, were you still training together as you came up or how did? So Eric, uh, Eric had moved to Montreal and was skating with uh, Paul Wirtz and his team there. And they relocated to Toronto. I uh, was in the middle of a transition coaching wise. And I went to the cricket club to train with Paul. And so we had started training there and we trained together there for about five years. And then our, uh, Paul passed away. Our careers kind of diverge in terms of our training and as pair skaters we both got new partners and things changed and eric ended up in montreal and he's been there ever since i kind of have hopped around toronto since then and been back in toronto since 
2014. And then, so when you guys went uh, Sochi, was that the same, the team's event? That was the same, you guys were together on that team, or how did that? Yeah, yeah. So that that was pretty great because it was one of the few, actually the only time we've ever got to compete, not against each other, but with each other. And um, it was kind of... It had a very storybook ending for us that we were able to stand on the podium together and share that moment before we had to go compete against each other again two days later. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. got, I mean, sorry, Rick, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what's like when you walked out there for the first time and, you know, opening ceremonies and you're there, it's, you know, I don't know, millions of people are watching. What's that experience like? Like, how can, again, we're normal people, we'll never experience anything even remotely similar. And, I don't know if you listen to the past podcast. I love Olympians. I think they're, you guys are some of the coolest people in the world. So what is that Thanks, like? For, <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I've said it numerous times. Like, some people are like, like, Rick, come on, like, take it easy. I'm like, no, Olympians are some of <laughs> the best people. Like, they're the best athletes in the world at what they do. So tell us what it's like to, to walk that, to, to be there, and I guess even just give us your best moment story other than the podium finish because that's obviously going to be your yeah. top one. Right. Um. Yeah, the opening ceremonies was incredible. We, my partner and I actually had to skate our free program the next day for the team event. And um, some skaters opted out of doing the opening ceremonies. And oh, I'm so happy we didn't do that because I didn't end up going to another games. I would have missed that experience. And it was, it's really hard to explain. It's like building something up for 24 years and then being there, you know, it's uh it's it's thunderous. You're walking through the bowels of the building and you can like feel the anticipation and the energy and the loudspeaker and like thousands of people roaring. And you're in this huge group of 200 plus athletes dressed the same as you. And instantly you're bonded. Some of them, you know, some of them you're meeting for the first time and you automatically feel like a family. Um, and it's it's special. It's really special. One of the I didn't even think about this when we we're even talking to Eric, but the Winter Olympics, too, as a Canadian athlete, I mean, listen, being an Olympian, like Ricky said, is, is, is your, like the peak of your sport. But typically, or historically, I think Canada does fare better in the Winter Games, you know, with hockey, with skating, you know, bobsledding, you know, the various sports. So, like, coming in there has got to have a different energy. I mean, you know, people associate Canada with the igloos and all this stuff. So, the Winter Games has got to be, like, I, I can't, you know, there's still Olympics, but that's got to be a huge moment. I mean, obviously, we would have we would have rode uh, moose and polar bears into the stadium if we could, right? Because that's how we get around here. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the? Uh, I want to ask you a non-skating question. Who's the coolest person you met at the Olympics, and why? I mean, define coolest, like in terms of like, their fame the, or in terms no, of the no, personality. You, like you met that person, you're like, wow, that was awesome. Um. Man, I, I took a, p a picture with Chara. The guy's a monster, which was kind of cool. Um, yeah, I, I had some drinks with uh, our Canadian hockey boys, you know, John, Jonathan Taze and Crosby and these guys. It was really interesting to to talk with them and get a perspective of a professional athlete where they're not making money during this. This is like totally different than this is our be all like and end all. your work for them. Meanwhile, right. This is like your, your, what you live for. And, but it was, it was fascinating to hear how much it meant to them you know the they still wear the maple leaf with the same kind of pride that we do and it still means so much to them on a on an emotional and uh, personal level and 
you know, in those moments, you can kind of remove everybody from their sports and we're all the same. We look different. We're shaped different. We're trained different. We think differently on the field of play, but like we're all kind of the same. And um, that, that was like a really nice way for me to wrap up the games. Um, that being said, I was done on day five and I had 12 days to take in the games and I did. <laughs> you know, I, I made sure I, I went to every event I possibly could. I was at gold medal, both gold medal hockey games, semifinal games. I saw all sorts of stuff. I partied. I had a blast. Like it was I, I remember riding the bus through the village to go to bed and there were skaters on the bus going to practice. <laughs> and they were just like looking at me. We, we won't ask what time that was. We won't ask. Oh, well, you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's going to be cool too, to obviously like come away with a podium finish, but also get to experience the games. Because I guess the people who compete even further through, like a lot of that is like, it's almost like work, right? You're, you're competing, competing, training, staying in that, that headspace. So I guess you got the best of both worlds, really. I did. I, I was lucky. And um, pairs as an event usually is set first in figure skating. Um, I believe it's because they think we like to party the most. So they, you know, just send us out. OK, you're done. Go, go, go. go. That's my theory. But, um, you know, I I think when you go to a games and I've only been to one, but I I was a 29 year old with a lot of time to kind of think about it and, and, and learn from other people and soak up what I needed to so that I was mentally prepared for it. And I really think it comes down to a choice and you have a choice, which, uh, which attitude you're going to bring to the games and set the tone for the entire experience. And for me, I trained, like I, I took pride in, in training hard. I always tried to out train everybody, at least fitness wise. I wanted to show up and be the most fit um, and the Olympics was just another level. Like I, I nearly killed myself getting ready for those games and I felt fantastic. Um, and I, sh I actually showed up and had a pretty bad, uh, infection in both of my feet. I had athlete's foot that turned into like this abscess and I couldn't put my skates on. Um, and I had to get injections of freezing into my feet every day for two weeks to like get my feet in my skates. Cause it was so painful. Um, and I like, I forget about that because I just had such a good time and I went there and I said, you know what? Everyone's going to be freaking out. Everyone's going to be, you know, constantly thinking this is it. This is my life. This is the Olympics counting the hours they put into this and, and how their life will fall apart if it doesn't go their way. And I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to soak up every minute. So I went, I went to other events, you know, a couple days before I competed, I, I went for a bike ride around the village and just kind of soaked it in. I, I immersed myself in the Olympic energy and chose to savor every minute. And when I went out and skated, it was just, I felt like a hundred pounds lighter. It was some of the best skating I'd done in my life at that point. And, um, I think most of it was just because I decided to just bask in the Olympic glory. Cause it really is. There's this like palpable energy that you feel everywhere you go. Yeah, there's nothing like it, right? Like that's the, it's the biggest stage in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that like, that's an important mindset to take into it? Cause I guess like you're, you know, coming up from like your youth training, all of this stuff is working to this one pinnacle moment. And when you get there, does it ever become like an identity crisis? Like, Oh my God, this like, to your point, you said before, some people think, Oh, this is it. What happens if I don't win? Or, you know, it is the end. 
by you embracing it, is like, is it looking at it like, okay, this is the like the end of one chapter of my life, moving on to the next. So just em embracing the whole moment, and it puts you more at like a calm headspace when you went out to skate. No, so for me, I I was still in that point in my life. I still wasn't like seeing past skating. Okay. You know, that was just like the earth is flat and it ends there. That's kind of <laughs> how my life looked, and uh, it was more so that I. I spent a lot of my career doing martial arts and meditation and visualization. And so I managed to fine tune that skill and was able to find like a sense of calm, a sense of like, you know, the water still and beneath the surface, there's stuff ready to happen, but it's, it's, it's calm. And I, I just found that kind of tranquility balance and managed to ride it as best as I could. Um, for me, it wasn't like a per perspective thing. It was more so this is everything I've worked for. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I deserve it. I'm going to enjoy it. No, that's, that's amazing. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned the foot, the issue with the uh, athlete's foot. Did you face any other adversity like on your journey to the Olympics? You know, when we talked about Eric, he, he brought up the stories of bullying and, and some of the issues he faced because of the idea of figure skating and, in the old society of life, right? Did you face any adversity during your journey? Oh, of course, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm a male figure skater, of course I did. Uh, I grew up playing rep hockey, rep baseball, rep soccer. So I definitely got it a bit in hockey. Um, but that like, that was normal. You know, I stopped playing all those other sports when I was about 12, 13. I kind of, they gradually, I weaned them out and, and shut them down. But I had a bit of a hard time through various parts of high school. Um, and had some, yeah, some, some pretty bad experiences, uh, with bullying, um, in terms of other setbacks. Yeah. Tons. I mean, I, I started skating pairs when I was 18, which is Eric and I started actually like within a month, a month of each other. Um, but I started skating with my youngest sister, Kira. So I'm the oldest of four and she's the, the youngest. We're nine years apart. So she was nine years old when we started skating together. Um, she was, strong and physically fit and like very advanced for her age and it was kind of we did it as a joke we started skating around the ice together to make my coach laugh and he's like that looks pretty good let's see it again let's try it. yeah let's try it yeah out. yeah and so we skated together for six years but our age gap made us ineligible for any international competitions for five and a half of those years so we were doing really well domestically but we were just sitting waiting not able to do anything. She ended up growing to be about five eight, five nine, which is like basketball hot height for figure skating, you know. And um, I also have some physical setbacks, like my my elbows don't actually lock out, so I'm unable to fully extend and lift. So I always have to be like flexing the whole way through. I can't use biomechanics. Out, yeah, and the there was some gray area in the technicality in the rule book. And there were technical specialists trying to discredit my lifts. So I would have things happen where we'd skate really well and I'd lose points. And then there'd be this whole like uproar and investigation and whatever. I ended up always wearing baggy sleeves when I competed. I looked like a pirate in every costume. <laughs> and, to, and the judges were like, just do that to, to help hide the line or whatever. And so it was like, con I had to work out twice as hard to, you know, maintain that strength to be able to hold things. And not just when they're perfect, but when they're off is where you really need your fitness. Um, 
And so it was, it was just like constant stuff like that, you know? Uh, and then injuries on and off injuries. I never had major, major injuries, knock on wood, but I had a lot of nagging stuff just with that, uh, alignment kind of those issues and I pushed through them. Um, but you know, the body would fight back at times. What's, what's that like? Like if you can't lock your arms and you're holding somebody up, the, the first few times you did it and you're saying the uproar of the judges, like, did it become a point where you guys have to go to them and say, Hey, by the way, like I can't lock my arms out just so you know, or was it just every time it was a battle? Oh no, totally. The, I mean, skate Canada had to get involved and like, they had some clarifications. There was like, the rules were deliberated over because of me and they got like fine tuned a little bit. Um, because most guys in pairs can lock their elbows. I mean, otherwise, what you know, who would be stupid enough to skate pairs if you can't lock your elbows? This guy. <laughs> so then, when you got so then go, going farther, then by the time you got to the Olympics, was it like a known thing? Was it the rules were then adapted? So yeah, yeah. This is this is like probably eight years after. Maybe maybe six years after things had really started being uh, played with internationally. Yeah, so it was it was that was old news. That was old news by then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's say after the Olympics, what were you, you finished that? You got you podiumed and obviously an amazing experience. What was what was next for you? Did you decide you know I want to keep going? Twenty uh, twenty eighteen, uh, Pyeongchang, I guess, or was it kind of you know let's see how the next year goes because. I know with Olympics, it's the timing's got to be perfect too, right? It's not like, okay, well, I've got three chances, really. It's like if you're only at the peak of your career for so many years and if they don't align, you might not get two chances or three chances. You might only get one or two, for example. Yeah, I, I'll start by touching on what you just said. Going to the Olympics, winning a medal, there is a huge luck factor, there really is a component of timing and being in the right place at the right time and being prepared for that opportunity should it arrive. And, you know, skating, only a few teams go to the games from each country. That amount of teams is dependent on how the teams do at Worlds a year before. So you're re- if you don't go to Worlds a year before, you're relying on the Canadian teams to earn spots. Yeah. So there, there are so many things involved. And also, you could be skating at a time of giants, you know, like Tessa and Scott, where they change the sport, become, you know, synonymous, synonymous with the name of the sport. They are ice dancing for a time. And it becomes really difficult if you just happen to fit in in that generation. And um, there are so many athletes who are worthy of being Olympians or Olympic medalists that it just wasn't the right time. So I do want to say to any young athletes, like the goal and the journey are the more important aspects and you will always gain more from pursuing that than just reaching it. Um, and I'm, I never forget that I'm very, gr- I'm very lucky and I'm very fortunate to have had those things work out for me. That being said, do you, uh, do you think that's, a- go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. It, it cut off. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to jump into something else. So <laughs> before I, I throw myself say, into a tangent, I was going to say, is that a result? Like, now that you look back and you say the journey is the important part to reflect on, did you have that same mentality going through it? Or when you faced that adversity or those times you were like, oh, this sucks. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not enjoying this. Or was that always your approach? I just enjoy this, enjoy it. Cause I might end up, you know, skating against somebody who's the once in a generation pair of skaters. 
I think in a judge sport like skating, you have to have a strong connection to your why. You have to understand why you're doing it and you have to be able to keep your perspective or you'll lose yourself. You'll lose love for the sport because there are results that happen that, you know, sometimes you and another skater can skate perfectly and it's apples or oranges, you know, and to say that our sport is not political is a lie. There are politics because we're people, we're biased. We can't help it. You know, we can be better or we can be swayed by, you know, forces that be <laughs> but, <laughs> to be politically correct. Yeah. But that being said, you know, it, it's, uh, I was very lucky to have, um, developed a, a strong, a strong connection to why I was doing it. And that helped me to reset anytime things didn't really go my way. Um, and I would say for me, my, my athlete superpower, cause every athlete has their own kind of superpower. My superpower is my mind. Um, I was really good at, at, at staying on task, um, pushing myself and I'm a, I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist. And I, that really helped me because it, you know, you see a lot of dark days as an athlete, especially when you're gunning for this like speck far off in the distance, it's very difficult to, to keep yourself going sometimes when it feels like there's no way it's going to happen. Um, and so that, that attitude helped me to remember step-by-step step, day by day, appreciate the journey. And I was, I, I was fortunate that I did that because when I was standing on the podium in Sochi, I, I relived all of it. It like all came flooding through my head. Like, you know, people say you see your life flash before your eyes when you die. It was kind of like that. Um, and I think it was because I, I, I gave enough respect to the process. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Do you think a lot of that too of, the, of knowing your why, does that go back? Like you made a comment earlier about your, your ability for, to visualize and you said martial arts, you did Krav Maga. Is that correct? Does that kind of it's, come from that as well? Yeah, it started with Kung Fu. Ooh. I actually started with Kung Fu. Um, my dad sought out Elvis Stoiker, Elvis Stoiko's Kung Fu teacher. And because um, he was known for his mental strength and focus. And so I started working with him. I'd done karate as a kid. You know, loved every action movie with some like sort of martial art. Kid. We got soccer or no, you said hockey, baseball, skating, kung fu. Yeah. Piano, violin, whatever. <laughs> and all of it. Yeah. And all four of us were doing multiple things at once. It was insane. My my poor mother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Continue. Continue. Yeah. Uh, Kung Fu changed my career 100%. I, I, I grasped on to being back in martial arts and I loved it. But the mental, spiritual kind of connection to being... Um, you know, at one with your body and your mind and your tasks and pressure and all of it. And just being able to, you, it's so empowering to be able to withstand it all and thrive. And I, I was intoxicated by it. I was obsessed with it. And so I would, I would do my, my visualization and my meditation every single day, multiple times a day before every practice, sometimes before every session. And it just became my thing. And then I would just be able to dial in like a light switch that, help me be present and being present is you know the the gateway into being able to appreciate everything that's happening i wanted to ask we're sorry georgie what do you, you, go ahead Rick, go ahead <laughs> what do you say 
and sorry for the guys listening. It's tough because we're on video chat. There's a little bit of a lag. But what do you do to stay so mentally sharp? You said that your your biggest strength was was your mind. You know, what do you do to stay so mentally sharp? Because especially in times like right now, when people feel like their worlds are collapsing, what can people do to to stay sharp or or to train their mind? Like what do you, what do you do, for example? So it's interesting because it, it changes. And at first I was like holding on to the way it always felt, but I changed even, even just to jump back a bit after Sochi and that season, my partnership ended out of nowhere. Like I was kind of, I was very blindsided um, and I had to restart my career. I wasn't done. I was kind of written off by my coaches of 13 years. And I, I, you know, I was like, no, 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 I'm not done. And my partner and I had agreed to go another four years. It, all that aside, it, it didn't, you know, it didn't work out. And I was, I was really, um, it was jarring. And I got a new partner and I switched schools and everything. And I had to find my new Dylan thing and my new way in. But I also realized that what I had done when I was younger was I, try, I would overcompensate for any doubt or nerves by overtraining. And I'd, you know, like to make sure. And it was like a, a neurosis. And as I got older, I realized, no, 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 it's all there. You just have to believe in it. So it became less about repetitions and more about my living mindset. You know, how do you handle things away from the rink that are difficult in life? What kind of characteristics do you choose to build? What what parts of your personality are you focusing on? And um, that became something that was that was good for me. And then also making sure I stayed up with my meditation because you can, you can feel like you're good and then you let it slip a little and then you go to meditate and you realize, Oh, I'm rusty. My mind is everywhere. So I think staying on top of it and, um, getting used to my new skating career and what skating meant to me kind of taught me some new lessons. And now having less skating and going into a completely different lifestyle helped me to in a way prepare for this type of a situation because when I first retired, I did not know what each day was going to look like. I came from, you know, working backwards a year in advance to what's happening three hours from now and, um, finding ways to stimulate myself and feel fulfilled and, and, you know, fill my soul. And, um, for me that became art and, and create, uh, creativity and, uh, tapping into that has become kind of my journey post sports. And so what I do now is I, I, I lean into my passions and I get creative about being creative. Like how can I find more ways to stimulate this and get to know this part of me? Um, and you know, I, I, I make sure I exercise at least six days a week or I go absolutely crazy. I miss two days in a row and I get a little nuts. Anti um, and and my fiance, my fiance is still a competitive professional tennis player. She was training for the Tokyo Games. So, wow. We uh, our living room has become our gym. Every day we move the couches and the table out of the way, and we work out together. And I help her with her workouts, and that that breaks my day up. And then we do yoga another part of the day, and we do mindfulness another part of the day. And um, for me, the biggest thing is staying present in the moment and realizing that. It's okay to feel lost. It's okay to feel all the bad things. And it's also okay to encourage yourself to feel the good things and just remove judgment, self-judgment, and just kind of take this time, which is a bit of a gift because in our 
world today, everyone's complaining about they don't have time. And now we have time. And so I'm letting myself dive into the scary questions. I'm letting myself think about the good, the bad, and, and you know, connect with who I am on a deeper level and do it on purpose. And one of the things that you said, you touched on it a few times, the meditation and then the mindfulness stuff you do. Do you do meditation in the sense where you sit and just no noise, no nothing, and just go internal and, and that kind of stuff? Do you do any breathing? Like, what does your meditation look like? Uh, yeah, I do various ones. I don't very often do complete silence. I can barely sit cross-legged. My, I'm not very flexible. <laughs> I need like a couple boosters under my butt to, to be able to sit comfortably. But uh, I, I like follow like following a guided meditation if there's a specific thing I want to work on. Um, I did a lot of biofeedback with uh, one of my sports psychologists when I trained. Uh, so she was more on the – she had a PhD in neurology. So more on the brain science. So there's some breathing exercises called autogenic – training. Um, it's based on biofeedback and connecting your mind and your body. Uh, so I'll do that or I'll do more of like a spiritual kind of Zen thing where I'll turn on, you know, a yoga meditation that you follow along and I lie down, I close my eyes and I just try and stay present within it and just, you know, gently nudge my mind back on task. Um, and then once in a while, I'll throw my Kung Fu movement type meditation in there. And it's, uh, it's crazy that you're saying this too, because you mentioned that people complain that they don't have enough time. And I think maybe me and George have talked about this, but you're, we're going to come out of this and there's going to be, and when I say this, I mean this whole COVID-19 stuff, there's going to be half the population that come out of this has the best version of themselves ever. And the other half that come out probably a little bit worse than they should be. Right. And it's, you, you can see that some of those people that are using this time to connect with themselves, self-improvement, get fit. Like I got a buddy of mine that I talked to yesterday. He hasn't drank in 30 days and he's been eating healthy wow. for 15 and he's on the road basically every weekend. Right. So he said, this is the first time he's ever done that. So it's interesting to see that again, you mentioned it, but some people are going to come out amazing and an improved version of themselves because of all this extra time. And some people are going to be on the complete other end of the spectrum. <clears throat> on a, on a professional, uh, physical task kind of mindset, this is going to end. Where do you want to be situated when it does? Yeah. You know, like, are you going to be ahead or behind? And yeah. there is that component that you can't ignore. But on the other side, I think also it's important to not distract yourself from like the deeper existential questions that we now have time to think about by just trying to further yourself physically or this or that or whatever. It's all like, you know, band-aids um, because essentially we are in this position partially because of the way our world is, the way humans have taken over the earth and abused it. And, you know, there's a there's an an entitlement issue, I think, with um, our society and people aren't in general aren't willing to really look inward. They instead find things externally to stimulate them to make, you know, what's next? What's going to make me feel good? What's going to make me feel good about myself? All this and whatever. I think now it's so important more than ever for us to be able to just sit with these things and come out, even if you don't get anything done, if you come out a more whole person on the inside, I think you're going to be more valuable to our society moving forwards than if you just push that away and try and like superficially make yourself better without actually having taken the time to think about your contribution to the world. 
That's I've gotten very so spiritual to this time. No, I, I love it. I love it. Honestly, this is like I. This is one of the things we talk about a lot because a lot of it goes to like you know physical health is a big thing, mental health is another thing, and you know both of you guys kind of touched on it there. And like when you're you really realize what you can do without in life and what you can be content with and if you can be content because right now all we have are everyone's got four walls and, and a roof over their head. You know, hopefully. And there's not much you can do. Whatever you had in your house before you got here is kind of like what you can do. And if you can't find, number one, the ability to, to you know, kind of reflect, get a deep dive and kind of, you know, work on little self-improvement things and be, you know, get a real picture of yourself. But also just be happy with the, having the bare minimum. Like you're not, you're going to realize that you can't be happy with other things. When all that stuff comes back, you realize that it was, you know, it's like chasing stimulants and all that kind of stuff. And if you're not happy sitting on a chair doing nothing, then you realize that that's not you know, it's not real, I guess, if that makes sense. And I'm about to right. your are, No, no, totally. I like, are you, are you running away from yourself because you don't actually like just being with yourself? And that's something I've had to ask myself because I'm so busy all the time that it's like, do I just like being busy or am I scared to be alone? Yeah. And why am I scared to be alone? You know, these, and, and it's, it's, it seems terrifying, but it's also like super, um, cathartic it's just oh wow every single human being goes through this on a regular basis you know that that question of who am i is part of being an intelligent being and i think to to try and run away from that is to do yourself a disservice yeah and even like even to ricky's point too about coming out as your best version if you can sit at home like you know some people have never worked out. They started working out every day and, you know, sitting, meditating, reading, whatever. I mean, even if they've done nothing, that's different. But if you can build good habits while you're stuck and isolated, where it's kind of hard to keep yourself motivated, then you should have the foundation in place going forward too. So, I mean, you know, I personally, like I've worked out more now than I think I ever have because I have nothing else to do. I'm doing like pushups in between commercials on TV and all that stuff. And, yeah. 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 I, I personally, I keep saying, and I've enjoyed this time. Like I, I like to just sit and kind of think and reflect. Uh, I think it's been great. I think coming out of this person, I feel like I'm going to be in a better place. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. This, is, this has been a, a weird time, to say the least. And Yeah. Um, Some so, of the tough part is, so, uh, Dylan, for, you don't know me well, but I'm, I'm a very busy person, just like yourself. I'm doing a million different things, just like George is. So when you take all those external factors and, you know, I can't go to the gym anymore. I can't – I don't play hockey. I don't play, you know, basketball – I'm not able to hang out with friends. And then you're basically stuck by yourself. And I was, I came back from Vegas on March 14th. So I was under self-isolation for 14 days. Like I couldn't leave the house, nothing. But that's when you really find, you know, what really matters. I went to my parents' house. I spent 14 days with my parents straight. We put, we did puzzles. We would sit at the table without our phones, turn off the TV and just have like good organic conversation. Because when the world is going and everyone's moving at hundred miles an hour, you don't get to sit down and just enjoy each other's company. You're always, okay, after dinner, I gotta do this. Oh, let me check my phone, I got 10 messages. Or, you know, you're always going, going, going. Now it's like, okay, everyone take a deep breath. We've got time, let's sit down, like, you know, reflect. I, I started journaling again. I even I hadn't journaled in like two, three years, started doing that and just finding different ways to stay. Again, cause it's not just about being physically fit. Mentally fit is the more important part in, the, in all of this. Absolutely, and I, I, I I completely agree with you. I think it's uh, it's the yin and the yang, right? Like the 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 balance of feeling physically healthy, emotionally and mentally healthy. Are you feeling 
your the soul, the person who you are inside? And are you, you know, treating your body with respect? Because when both are in a good place, you're going to feel that much better. And um, one does help the other. If you're in a good place emotionally and um, mentally, you're going to have an easier time getting yourself going f- with fitness. If you're feeling fit and you're exercising, you're expelling that energy, you're going to start to feel better mentally, right? Like there's... Yeah, they go hand in hand. Yeah. And I, I think... It's very easy with all this uncertainty to get into a doom and gloom kind of mindset. And it's not that you shouldn't feel that fear of it, but what are you going to do with it? You know, how are you, how are you going to manage it and digest it and, and do what you need to do to feel like, okay, I see it there and it's there, but also what am I doing to, you know, fill the other side of the, the equation? And that's, I have a gift of time that I don't usually have. One of the things you just said about about being able to manage this situation and how you come out of it, how have you been able to manage it now with your with your new passions and you know following that creative path with you know acting modeling? Has it changed how you're doing things? Are you still able to do things remotely? You know, you mentioned you're doing the script, the monologue, but has that put a halt to other things you've been working on, or have you still been able to kind of continue with your profession? No, I, I've I would say in some ways it's further further things for me. Um, I do miss, like, in terms of acting, I do miss being in class. Um, you know, I've done some practice scenes with friends, face oh, chat, yeah, and it, it's not the same. It's good it, It's good practice for, like, self-tape auditions, um, but there's something about that real visceral human connection that makes acting authentic in a, in a two-person scene that you, you miss through a screen, right? And um, so I do miss that, and I really felt like I was starting to, to gain some momentum with my confidence and my craft. And, um, I had some projects that were kind of close to being, uh, greenlit and, you know, everyone has their, their loss for what happened with this. But in terms of having time to be more of a student of film and TV and, uh, start reading some other scripts. And, um, I have a list of films I'm going to start watching, um, once this crazy week kind of finishes, but I, I can your song. Yeah, yeah. The song's done. The song is done. Uh, um, I've been I've been working on a uh, series and put together my first draft of a pitch. And so I finished that pitch during this time. And so now I've sent it out to some mentors to get some work done on it. And then I'm going to keep furthering it. And then in my class, I've been writing a feature film, an idea that I've had since uh, just before I stopped skating. So it's pushed me to to do it. And it's been flying out of me. Like I, I, I'm aiming to finish the first draft of the whole movie by the end of June. So I'm like feeling good and I'm feeling like excited about it. And I think it's because I, I've made myself take this time to really dive in and it's unlocked any inhibitions I've had with like getting into it deeper. Um, but you know, there are other things that I haven't gotten to yet that I want to, like I, I've been working on starting my own podcast. I've done a couple, um, a couple interviews. Uh, I just have to clean up and, um, and I have some other interviews lined up that I just, I need to get to, but it's, it's kind of like, I'll get to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, You've got a lot on your plate, right? Yeah. And I actually luckily have been able to, I, I co-host this, uh, CBC show called that figure skating show. Um, okay. and it's, uh, uh, a pilot project for CBC. It's very different. It's uh, on their YouTube page. Um, hopefully, moving into something bigger next season, whenever next season starts. Uh, 
but it's comedic. It's it's like totally different and um, off script. And my my uh, my co-host is an old skating friend, and it's been a blast. And we were supposed to we were supposed to host the world championships last month, um, and that kind of fell apart. And so we've actually been able to do a couple um, uh, a couple episodes through uh, through Zoom. And maybe we'll get to do a couple more. So there's like, I did a speech for Can Fund, which is a foundation for athletes. I do motivational speaking on the side. I've actually been able to do a couple of speeches now. So I have one coming up for Maccabi uh, Canada, the Jewish uh, sport organization. My fiance and I are speaking to them for, uh, I think, about 30 minutes next week. So like, I do get to still fill that that uh that need of connecting with people and um sharing and storytelling and I've, I've really kind of zoned in on that's who i am and that's where my life is going that's awesome i guess going back to the thing too about finding a time to so like you said zone in here you don't have that external noise as much and people try to drag you in different directions i mean obviously a couple of things you're helping with friend friends out with but you can really dive in and, and you know just kind of put the blinders on and get into your craft so um on that note, one question I did want to ask is in your film, uh, your film background, what is your kind of go-to style? Do you, are you more like a dramatic actor? You like comedy? Are you a little bit of everything? Um, I'm still, I'm still finding, uh, my voice, I guess you could say. My instinct always goes towards comedy. That's just kind of who I am. When I write, I write comedy first instinct, I have like a note in my phone of just stupid sketch ideas that I've been writing in for the last two and a half years. And I'll like scroll through and I'll find something and be like, oh yeah, and that's a scene for my script. It's in there now, right? And that kind of thing. Um, I would say naturally my timing is in comedy, but I've been training more in drama uh, because I would like to be a well-rounded performer. I'd like to to be able to connect with audiences in many different ways and make them feel different things and move them in different ways. Um, where my voice is, I don't know yet. Still so too is, early. So is your script that you're working on now then, is it a comedy script that you're working on? For the contest, it's a drama because it had to be. <laughs> okay. what, what about the feature film? Oh, that's a comedy, that's a comedy. Comedy for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like very Will Ferrell-esque. I was just going to ask who you would associate it with. Oh, yeah. It's very Will Ferrell-esque. Yeah. I got one. So, okay. Oh, sorry, Georgie. If there's, let's say there's a movie about your life played tomorrow, who would you want to star in it? Oh, that's a hard one. Maybe Ryan Reynolds. Oh, good Canadian boy. I think Ryan Reynolds. Too. Yeah, good Canadian boy. He's, he's uh, you know, he's got that, like, he's a good actor. Oh, but great. he's got this quick like sharp-witted Wait. banter that I love. And so he can kind of like bounce back and forth. So I guess that's what I, I'd ideally like to emulate. So some someone like that, probably. When you're, and when you're writing your, like when you're writing the script for your, for your screen or your movie, um, do you have someone, like, do you visualize it being, okay, this is me in this shoes. Do you visualize a certain actor for it? Like, how do you get in that zone? Uh, it's, it's interesting because I'm I'm newer to it, right? I'm I'm figuring it out as I go, and I'm noticing that I'll start with an idea, and then it just starts going, and then I'll stop and look and be like, "This is like me. This, these are too many things that are me. I gotta I gotta change this up a little bit because it's just your brain goes to what you know, right? It's you 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 base it off your own experiences. Um, 
but it's also fun to kind of allow myself to break away from me and get the character to start doing things I wouldn't do, um, which is fun. It's very interesting to see how your creativity starts to take a, take on a life of its own when you let yourself just go. Of, of all the things that you're working on now, um, and you can add any in if I miss them, but acting, modeling, public speaking, or like motivational speaking, if one of those could take off tomorrow, which one would you rather would you rather be known for? Well, motivational public speaking is, I think, something that I'll always try and do throughout my life as a satellite career. I don't, I don't know that it will ever become my full time thing. Um, but I would say modeling is just like the same. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, it, it's okay. I don't, I don't feel the same amount of, um, fulfillment. Yeah. Um, between acting, writing and hosting, man, I would love Jimmy Fallon's job. <laughs> <laughs> that would be freaking awesome. Um, I don't know, maybe writing and starring in or acting in, like, I want to tell stories, you know, and I want to be part of the whole process. If that were to take off, like really take off, that would probably be my number one pick, but it's close. It's close. I really love hosting and broadcasting and commentating and doing all that kind of stuff too. Seems like a lot, a lot more actors are doing kind of two sides of it. And that maybe I'm just like thinking generally, because I've watched a lot of Netflix lately, but I know someone like Jason Bateman, for example, he was an actor and like, Ozarks is a producer now and some stuff he's directed, you know, Ben Affleck, there's a lot more guys getting involved from like either the script uh, and then the, the, the on camera behind the scenes, all that stuff. So it seems like a lot more people are going down that route of, of being more multifaceted. It's a very unstable uh, job to have being an actor, super unstable. Even if you're killing it, it can be, you, you don't know when you finish a project, if you don't have anything lined up, you don't know if that's the last one you'll ever do. And it's a very weird place to be. Uh, I think actors, a lot of them are storytellers and it's a natural fit to tell your own story. If you, if you have a voice to do that, uh, I think also it's, you got to keep yourself busy during that time when you're, you know, you got to work on your craft, but you gotta, you gotta do things or you're going to go crazy. Um, and as an actor, you only have a certain amount of say in what you're doing, especially if you're you know, your role is mid-level to small. You're, you're like a talking prop. You're helping the person who created that story tell their story. Uh, it's kind of like being an employee versus an entrepreneur, a business owner. You know, when you when you write the story, it's yours. It's your story. And you're, you have a lot. I mean, once the money gets involved, you lose a lot of creative control. <laughs> but um, I think every every actor can also benefit as an actor from writing because you you also see the work and the complications that go into creating a story the structure for a series blew my mind like the dialogue i love writing it's fun i i create characters and stupid scenarios creating a, a an arc of a story broken up into episodes and making each episode have you know an act one act two act three the twist the it's really complicated um, and you really get more respect for the um the filmmakers that are making the film and how challenging it is and you realize why like i should not be asking questions unless it's imperative i should not be wasting their time because every five minutes is probably like five thousand dollars who knows right 
and so you you just get a better sense of what is actually happening behind just your five words. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to ask. So when this is all over, all this COVID stuff, what's the thing you're most looking forward to do? Is it just interactions with people, or what's the number one thing you're most you you're missing the most right now? I am going to hug the shit out of my friends and family. <laughs> I I am such a people pers- person. I'm like an extroverted extrovert. My friends are extensions of my family, and I miss them crazy amounts. And uh, I've really, especially at the end of my career, but as I move forward, really respected the importance, um, you know, the role they play in my life. And uh, I think I'm going to just take some time to to see people, <laughs> you know, and just appreciate having them in my life and sharing that together and sharing what we've all gone through once it's safe. Um, I do have a great idea. I think, you know, if everyone just got an absorb, we could go to like a big open field and have a big party where no one touches because you're in a bubble. But that's, I don't, well, I don't that's, pretty, I, that's a pretty good idea. And that'd be, I, I'd do. I, I, maybe I'll call a city councilor or something and be like, eh, you know, Mayor Tory, <laughs> could we play Zorb soccer? <laughs> Honestly, Trinity Bellwoods Park's pretty decent size. I mean, you could get, you know, you can do in rotations. That's a pretty good idea. Uh, <laughs> patent pending. Patent pending. That's it. <laughs> yeah, we won't, we won't take it. Don't worry. But if, you do, you, if it does happen, let us know, please. What are you guys finding? I mean, I, I don't know during this time how many people you've gotten to interview. Um, I would imagine it's probably in a sense more because people have less of a schedule. But how, how are you guys finding this time talking to so many people and also going through your own experiences george you go you can go first you know funny enough um we actually you're right we probably could have interviewed more but we hit like a roadblock um from specifically for the podcast because ricky and i like you know we decided to set this goal in january and we hit the ground running we're like dive with two feet in let's just do it and see what happens and it was we had great momentum going we had guests lined up you know stuff coming up even now and then this happened lockdown so it kind of put a halt to things. And one of the things that we put a lot of time into is getting this like studio here. That's where I actually am right now. Get it set up. So our sound quality was, a, you know, was great for a lot of the episodes and being in, meeting people face to face was a lot of fun. So then we had to kind of rethink, do we want to do this over like this Skype, Zoom kind of thing? Because it has a different feel. So we took some time to think about, do we want to put a pause on it entirely or keep going? Uh, we decided obviously to keep it going, uh, but it hasn't been as as... Uh, as often as we were doing it previously. Uh, so it's been it's been an adjustment. It's been weird. But the difference is, like, this is kind of our side, like, you know, more like passion project. So while it kind of hurts that we can't keep the momentum going that we built early on this year, uh, we're trying to make the best of it. So, I mean, we're, you know, fortunate to have you on, and we're trying to get some more people lined up for the next – some more for the next week in the, in the following. But <laughs> other than that, I mean, I see people, if I, you know, once a week I kind of pop over to the grocery store. And, and even that I've done less, like Instacart now. So – I'm seeing actually less and less humans as it goes on. Uh, I get outside for runs. Most days I kind of run around. I'm in uh, Etobicoke, so like Hyde Park area. Uh, so I don't see too many people. But Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, that's really yeah. it from, from my end. I mean, yeah. And, and with me, like the biggest thing about the podcast and the re- one of the reasons we started to do it was because we talk on the phone, but we didn't hang out as much anymore just because busy schedules. So we said this podcast is a chance for us to sit down, hang out with each other, get to meet interesting people, like-minded people. You know, people with great stories who have faced adversaries, faced adversity, sorry. And just, you know, just interesting conversations. And then 
once this all happened, we didn't record for probably three weeks because we weren't together. We were both on isolation. We had a couple episodes banked and then we're like, you know, we're not going to release an episode about traveling to Europe because that'd be super tone deaf. So we, we kind of put things on hold. So we just got going again and, and it's been, uh, it's been fun. We've got, we, again, like George said, we lined up some, uh, some more guests, which will be exciting for May. Uh, and then for me personally, other than my, I'm still working. My, my work is technically considered essential. So I I'm in my office right now and, uh, I, uh, I see, you know, a handful of people every day or sorry, three days a week at work. And then other than that, I see my mom and dad because Instead of staying at my 700 square foot condo, I'm I'm staying at their home. At least I've got good company. I've got, you know, we laugh. We get on each other's nerves a lot. And uh, there's moments where I'm like, shoot, my mom's about to kill my dad. Maybe I should step in. But overall, <laughs> it's, been, uh, it's been pretty good. People are not used to spending this much time together. Yeah. I, I don't care how good your relationship is. It, you know, people need their alone time. And I... I got home yesterday and this was funny. So my mom's, um, she's been finding a lot of recipes online, right? Like Instagram and TikTok and whatever. So I get home and she's all fired up. She's like, I made bread. I made bread. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Like you made bread, like great, right? Kudos. I'm like, hey, you're in a really good mood. She goes, yeah, because you and your father haven't come home yet to piss me off. And I'm like, that's <laughs> the of quarantine. Oh. Amazing. Families. Yeah. Do um, you do you sorry, find, Ricky, sorry, Ricky, do you find um, still having a job where so many people don't, you know, I, I don't have a job. I just have a lot of things I'm working on. But yeah. um, do you find people will say to you more often that you're lucky that you still have a job? And do you feel lucky or do you like how, how is it having a job during this time where a lot of people don't? Yeah. So I've been fortunate enough that our work is still is still going, like even with George as well. And, we both work for family businesses and we've our business has been fortunate enough that we haven't had to lay off too many people because probably about 60 to 70% of our work is still carrying on. So we've got stipulations put in place where, you know, people only come in two days a week. You, you're in your office or you're in your cubicle. You can't, you know, no lunchroom meetings, no face-to-face meetings. So we've been fortunate enough. And I honestly do think we are lucky because, you know, I can't, imagine that the days where I'm, I'm being moody and I'm in a, a zone of negativity because I can't go out and hang out with my friends and go to the gym. And then to think that there's other people that are going through exactly what I'm going through at that moment, but then also need to think about that financial section where it's like, you know, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to afford rent, groceries, X, Y, and Z, right? So I people do say, you know, we're lucky and, and I 100% agree for the people who have been able to work during this time, we are definitely lucky because... <laughs> I, I don't know the exact stat, but I can imagine probably a third or maybe half of Canadians are out of work right now. So I, uh, I'm very appreciative and I'm very lucky to that our work is, is still going on and we haven't really had to make many changes in terms of employees. So, um, George, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, Ricky touched on it. We're, I'm in the same business. We're both in the service industry. Um, my family, my, my father has a, has a commercial cleaning company, so we clean a lot of uh, big towers downtown, industrial plants, logistics sites, uh, some transit hubs. So cleaning was right away, obviously, with a health crisis and a, and a pandemic was deemed essential from the onset. So we were fortunate that at the beginning, work got busier because everyone, you know, as the panic set in, we're more disinfecting, more this, more that. And then as people started to work from home, work started to subside. So we actually saw a decrease in work um, as a whole, but obviously not entirely because everything still needs to be clean. But you know, we're fortunate that we have great partnerships with some of our clients that, you know, a lot of them have been advocates to say, we want to keep all your people employed because 
your, both your points, like a lot of, you know, it's, it's hit a lot of industries. Um, and, you know, the frontline workers, like our cleaners are, are the front line day in and day out, keeping all these places safe and clean. So uh, it's been great for us. We've been fortunate that we have these dialogues and discussions daily with our clients. And they're saying, how can we, you know, these, these offices are closed. Can we put them to work somewhere else? So from a position, I feel very fortunate that, you know, we're in this industry we're in. The service industry doesn't always get the kind of love it does. And, and being in the cleaning business for a long time, um, you know, something is dirty in an office we get first to get complained if something's missing we there's a complaint so you know there's some downsides to the business that we're in but we're fortunate that we're an essential service and and that we can provide jobs to people right now so yeah, i mean i've never seen anything like this before and probably no one around our, our age demographic has so it's very very interesting um you know hopefully it starts to turn around soon but who really knows at this point yeah fingers crossed oh that's, yeah. that's good that you both you guys both have uh a purpose every day too, which is nice. Yeah. yeah. Dylan, I wanted to ask, and, and we've, we've been asking a lot of people this question too. And if there's one piece of advice or one thing you could tell your younger self, what would it be? And I know you've touched on so many different aspects, you know, the, the mental strength, the, the purpose and the why, but one thing that you could tell your younger self, what would it be? I think, I think having, uh, uh, having the right attitude is the most important thing you can do. Um, I always lived by the quote and it's, it's corny, but I always live by the quote, your altitude determines your, uh, your attitude determines your altitude. And, uh, it is so broad that it can encompass so many things. Um, and I really think within that, the most important thing within your attitude is your belief system in yourself. Um, and beyond any adversity you have, any, um, any setbacks, any naysayers, any people trying to pull you down you have to have that relationship with yourself where you are your own best friend and you speak to yourself with respect and you encourage yourself with respect and you critique yourself with respect. And that when you want to accomplish something, you set your mind to it, you hold yourself accountable, but you truly believe in yourself. And I think, you know, for most people, we are the first person to get in our own way and um, no one else is holding the steering wheel. So if you want to do something, align yourself mentally and go after it. Some great advice. Uh, I was going to say that was good. That Thanks. Was good. Thanks. Uh, yeah, go Georgie. I don't know. I was going to say, Rick, do you have any, any other questions you want to get on? I mean, that, that was good. I This is a great conversation, Dylan. Honestly, it's been from touching upon the Olympics to your journey and, and everything you've been working on. You've obviously got so much going on for you and uh, I feel that once this is all over, you're going to come out of this, you know, with so many different plans and so many different uh, things on your plate that I look forward to seeing what uh, what comes for you. Fingers crossed. Thanks, man. I hope, hope I hope so. I'm just going to keep plugging away and, you know, one step at a time. But I appreciate that. Thank you. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Uh, my Instagram, Dylan.Moscovich. My Twitter is Dylan Moscovich. Uh, I recently launched a website www.dylanmoskovich.com pretty straightforward um yeah and then my my skating show um is on cbc sports it's called that figure skating show uh with myself and asher hill uh and i think we have upwards of about 30 clips and episodes on uh on their youtube feed right now um and that's kind of what i'm up to right now i'm i'm i've try and stay fairly active on social media uh, i think we're all extremely lucky to live in a time 
uh, in the time that we do to go through this, where we can stay connected and still, you know, draw inspiration from what other people are doing around the world. Um, but that's, that's, that's where you can find me. Cause I'm going to be home. <laughs> well, we'll share all the links on when we post the, the article of uh, the episode, <laughs> the verbal article. Yeah. We'll throw it up and, uh, Honestly, thanks for coming on. Thanks awesome. Yeah, for, uh, nice, guys. Oh, and this was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah no, it was a blast. Thanks for having me. You like to drink and to smoke to take away the pain. And I don't remember all of my mistakes and every I got alone.